media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. We've been in this series now for quite some time uh, through the summer of great prayers of the Bible. We've looked at prayers of Jesus. We've looked at uh, some of the prayers of Paul as he prayed for the churches. And this morning we conclude uh, with another prayer that we find of some of our Old Testament characters. We've looked at the prayer of Nehemiah. We've looked at the, the prayer of Jonah. And I, I think what we're going to find today is that we see the, a consistency in these prayers. But before we get into that, have you ever played that game when you were a little kid or maybe as a full-grown adult, that uh, that game, that question, if you could have one wish, what would you wish for? Have you ever done that maybe just in table conversation, maybe other times just discussion? If you had one wish, what would you wish for? Well, I can imagine that that has changed in uh, your maturity and in your maturation that uh, at 10, maybe, you you know, if you were asked that question, I want a dog. Maybe you had not been allowed to have a dog. And maybe at 10 years old, because your parents didn't want you to have a dog, you know, that was the greatest thing that you could think of, that you couldn't fathom anything more pleasing than to have a dog. And so if you had one wish, you'd pray for that, for that, uh, or wish for that dog. Maybe as you were 18 and uh, going through all those changes in life and everything like that, that and maybe uh, had, had sights on a certain boy or girl, boyfriend or girlfriend, that you prayed, okay, God, you know, give me this girl as a girlfriend. Maybe by 25 that, uh, uh, you know, that you're in that stage of life of going, okay, I, I think money will solve everything. So give me millions of dollars. You know, at 25 years old, we kind of think that money will solve everything. Maybe at 35, that changes and transforms a little bit, and all of a sudden we begin to think, okay, no, really what I want, really what I, what is best for me is the safety and the success of my children. You know, at 57, uh, if you were given that, it's amazing that kind of transforms into and drifts toward the safety and the success of your grandchildren. You become very focused on that. Well, more than likely, none of us will never, ever have that chance to uh, to say, okay, if you could just wish for one thing, what would you wish for? If we uh, we probably not, are not going to find a genie lamp, and even if we did find a lamp, it probably would not grant us that free wish. But believe it or not, there was a time in the Bible that that God actually, not in so many words, not in those particular words, but in so many words, and and He asked a person, "Hey, you get one wish. What would you wish for?" That that person was Solomon. Maybe you know him as King Solomon. He was actually the son of a king, son of uh, King David in Bathsheba. And, and while that story had a very uh, tumultuous beginning, we do see God's forgiveness and grace in that and that he uh, allows Solomon to actually follow on the throne after King David. His father was a great king, uh, the greatest, you know, the Jewish people would say the greatest of all of Israel. And uh, at the same time, we see the humanity of David. We see the, the sinfulness of David. We see that he was a man after God's own heart, and yet he was very vulnerable to his own failings and fallings. And, and Solomon was fully aware of that. He was actually the, the child of uh, something that was not a, a blessed relationship in the sense of uh, this is not how God wanted Solomon to be conceived. And, and so what we begin to see here is... 
that with all of our dysfunction, with all that's wrong in our lives, that the grace of God and the work of God is, is pretty overwhelming. And so, uh, you know, Solomon comes from a very broken home. You think of King David and you think of all the accolades. And, and yet, I mean, when you get down and you start tracing the history, folks, it was very, there. the family was very, very fallen and corrupt. There was uh, incest, rape, and murder. Now, we have pretty broken families, because, but I don't know that any of us can really sit there and go, okay, yeah, if you look into my immediate family tree and there's, you know, these great failings of sin. And yet that's what happened among David's children. And even though Solomon wasn't the oldest, he was the one that God desired to have on the throne to follow David. And even that kept uh, a lot of the, the feuding and the fire going between his brothers because they were saying, no, I'm the rightful heir to my father's throne. All to say that's kind of a background there. And in First Kings chapter 2, David, King David, while he's still alive, gives Solomon his blessing and he gives some advice to him before he dies. And, and he tells Solomon that, okay, in order to, to be this king, uh, you know, to, to just keep your heart toward God. And then we find uh, in 1 Kings, as we get to chapter 3, in verse 3, this description of Solomon, okay? 1 Kings 3, 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at high places. Now, what is this telling us? He does have a heart for God. David, his father, had a heart for God. And, and Solomon wanted to follow in those steps. And so he loved God and he walked in, in the statues of, of David. In other words, he tried to, to be very obedient to the commandments of God. He desired very much uh, to have a close relationship with God. And it also tells us that he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. That was part of their Old Testament worship. They did not have a temple. Remember, David was not allowed to build a temple. God, because of David's sin, said, you're, you're not going to get that privilege to, to build a temple. Solomon, in fact, would be the one that would be uh, uh, have the, the privilege to build that temple. But he is worshiping. He's sacrificing. You can read, and it says that he gave a thousand sacrifices, burnt offerings before the Lord. So this is a man who's not just kind of going through the motions, but he really does have a heart for God. And it's in one of those times of worship, after a time of worship and sacrifice, that the Lord comes to Solomon in a vision and a dream. This happens a lot in the Old Testament. That he would, God would, like in Isaiah, that he would give a vision. And it was real. And it wasn't like, okay, this is just a dream that has no sense. No, this is a dream where I'm communicating to you. And God does that with Solomon. And in that vision, in that dream, he asked Solomon, what do you wish? If I gave you one wish, what would you wish for? Let me read Solomon's response. Because in verses 6 through 9, we see Solomon responding to that question. Now, I don't know how you and I would respond. I mean, if we really had that authentically and God authentically said before you, what is your wish? I mean, I can understand that there'd be a myriad of answers and a myriad of things that would be going through our mind and our heart. But listen to the response of Solomon. And it's done in a form of a prayer. This is one of the great prayers of the Bible, in my humble opinion, because it is a response to God's 
What, what do you wish for? Verses 6 through 9. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in an uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I'm but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered, are counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I might discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this great people. In that prayer, Solomon is responding to God, what do you wish for? He gives him one wish and one request and Solomon, to sum up those four verses there, asks for wisdom. And it's in his response, in this prayerful response, that we see three aspects of, of prayer and kind of just uh, uh, in, in his response. The first one is a declaration of God's love and faithfulness. First thing that he does is he responds to God in this prayer. First thing he does in the prayer is he, he responds to God's love, his faithfulness, and God's characteristics. We find that back in verse 6. Look at verse 6 again. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, and now you're showing it to me. Okay, one characteristic that we see repeated in all these prayers is that it begins with, you can call it adoration, you can call it worship, you can call it focusing upon you know, the character of God. You can name a lot of different ways you can kind of classify it, but basically what we see in, in Jonah's prayer, what we see in Nehemiah's prayer, what we see here in this prayer, what we see in Jesus' prayers and in Paul's prayer is first and foremost this focus on the steadfastness and the character of God. Remember when we were talking about Nehemiah a couple weeks ago? And how praise and true adoration, confession of who God is, opens the door to worship. When we look at the steadfast love of God, it's almost like what Ricky was saying before. All of a sudden that opens up the door because we said, okay, it's not based on my steadfast love. No, I can come into the throne room of God and worship. Why? Because he's steadfast. I'm not faithful, but he's always faithful. I'm a covenant breaker, but he's a covenant keeper. And and a couple weeks ago, we we saw that as such an important part of our prayer life, that if you really want to come into the throne room of God, you start by focusing on who God is, not who you are. And it opens the door. It's It's like an invitation. But then you quickly kind of go into who you are. And what we saw in Nehemiah, Jonah, not so much Jesus because he did not have confession because he did not have sin, but we see it in Paul. We see in all these different prayers this humility and this confession of their need. So the second thing that we see in Solomon's prayer here is a humble confession of his need. Look at verse 7 and 8 again. Oh now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. Let me stop right there. He's not a little child. Okay, we don't know exactly how old Solomon is. 
But he's not seven or eight. He's not a preteen. We don't even think that he was a teenager. We do believe that by this time that he is what we consider uh, into manhood, you know, that he's a somewhat of a grown man. And yet, why does he say, but I'm like a little child? Because his prayer request is wisdom. And he said, you know, even though I've had the best of education, I've been to the best schools, I've been afforded to me all these privileges of education and being around the best of the best. He said, I'm like a little child. And look at his confession. I don't know how to go out or come in. He said, I don't even know kind of how to, how to, you know, I don't think he's talking about physical doors. He said, I just don't know how to kind of do life. I need your wisdom. And your servant, verse 8, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered and counted in a multitude. Again, so Solomon is not a, a child in age, but he does declare that he is a child in his understanding, even though he had the best of all these things. So first we see a declaration of who God is, then a confession of who we are and our need, and then the third thing that we can see consistently in all these men's prayers is a desire to be used by God. Look at verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I might discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Three ways that he expresses his desire to be used by God. He says, first of all, he describes himself as your servant. Do you see that? So God, I'm your servant. Secondly, I want to serve your people. These are not my people. I may be king. And certainly I can snap my fingers and, and because I'm king, and this is what kings do, certainly I can kind of command people to do things. But these are not my people. It's kind of like a pastor's and then the elder's response to, to church. A pastor might say, well, you know, my church and my people. And, and really that might slip out. <laughs> but you're not my people. You're God's people. And God may call pastors and elders to lead over that. This is not my church. This is not the elders' church. This is God's church. And you're God's people. Does that make sense? How easy it is when we have a role of responsibility to take on ownership of that. And what we see here is that even though Solomon's going to be king, and back then, again, when the king said something and snapped, it was done. And yet... Look at the confession of his prayer. He said, Here, here's who I am. I'm your servant, and, and I serve your people. And then he describes the role that he has as he sees it before him, to govern your great people. Now remember, the whole purpose of this series was not just for us to put information about these people's prayers into our minds, but to seek transformation in our own lives, maturity in our life. And, and how can we pray, if you want to say the word better? I'm hesitant to use that word because it's one of those things. I don't want it to be one of those things, almost like what you're talking about. You know, I, I'm so glad that Romans 8 does tell me that the Holy Spirit, even when I have murmurings and utterings and the words don't even come out, take that prayer and perfect it before a holy God. I'm told time and time again in the word that Jesus Christ now sits beside God as one who's my advocate and he's praying for me. 
So I don't want us to get in this mindset that we have to have these words and, and certain ways that we pray. But we can not ignore the fact that we see the consistent makeup of what God calls a pleasing prayer. Focusing on Him and His glory, confession and our need, and then a changed heart that says, here I am, send me. Consistently through Nehemiah's prayer, through Jonah's prayer. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, did he? And yet in the belly of the well, he says, okay, send me. <laughs> go ahead and send me. And you say, well, Bobby, yeah, if you were in the belly well for three days, you'd be praying that prayer too, just to escape. Yeah, but Nehemiah didn't have that. He was 800 miles away, remember? He was a safe distance away. He was in a comfortable life. And yet, what did he do? He fell on his knees and he wept before the Lord. Why? Because he was personally afflicted because of his own hard life that it was coming upon him? No, because God had put upon him a heart that was broken for God's people. I mean, we could point to Jonah and say, yeah, when we get back to the corner, this is the kind of prayer that comes out. Nehemiah wasn't back in the corner. I don't think we could consider theologically that Jesus was backed in the corner last week when he says, not my will, but thy will be done. No, there's this, it pleased God to crush him, but it also pleased for the joy, it says that Jesus went to the cross. Do you see how that can be conflicting? And yet the clarification here is that when we begin to truly focus on who God is, we begin to see who we are. It's a natural reflection. Now, what if we looked at who we were first and then we looked at God? Could we reverse those? I I guess somewhat it could work. But to get the truest picture of who I am, guess where I look first? At who God is. And that gives the truest picture of who I am. And it also gives me the truest picture of my need. So that's why I think we see this. Now, again... My hesitancy this morning is that we would have a fill-in-the-blank formula for prayer. I, I was taught when I was discipled, anybody ever taught ACTS? Adoration? <laughs> yeah, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And we had different things. And those are good. Those are good. But here, here's the possible problem from those is that we just do a fill-in-the-blank, boom, 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 boom. I had my A, I had my C, I had my T, I had my S. Amen. When God wants my heart. So here's our danger. We're formula-oriented people. We see a blank, we're going to fill it in. Adoration. How do I praise God in adoration? Confession. What what can I confess this week? Thanksgiving. What am I thankful for? Who, Who can I pray for? And we fill in one name or one thing in each one of those things, and we say amen, and we're done. Could we do that kind of in a formalized way of life rather than a transformed life? Yes, we can. So we've got to be careful. So I'm not giving you a fill-in-the-blank formula. I'm just saying, why do we see this consistency in all these Old Testament prayers and New Testament prayers where they start with their focus on God, their confession of their need and their sin, and then this heart that says, here I am, send me. Why do we see this consistency? Because this is a prayer that pleases God. When it's heartfelt, this is the prayer that pleases God. Look at verse 10, 1 Kings 3.10. What does it say? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. 
Why did it please the Lord? Do you want a prayer life that pleases the Lord? Do you, do you want to pray in a way that pleases the Lord? Well, it's not just a formula, fill in the blank. But it is a heart that reflects these elements, these characteristics of prayer. Now, we've seen this again throughout the series. We've seen it in all these different men that prayed in all these different prayers. And I imagine if we preached for 10 more weeks and used 10 more prayers, we would see that consistency again. Now, why did it actually please God that Solomon prayed this? Well, we find the answer in verses 11 through 14. Verse 10, it pleased the Lord that someone plays it. And then in verses 11 through 14, he actually um, responds to this pleasing prayer. Let me read it in its entirety, and then we'll kind of go back and look at some of the aspects of it. First Kings 3, 11 through 14. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches in the life of your, or the, the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has ever been before, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. I'll give you a long life. Not only am I going to give you what you asked for in this one wish, but I'm actually going to bless you with a lot of these other things too, Solomon. God is pleased with the prayers. Why? Because it is aligned with the purposes of God. How do we pray the most pleasing of prayers to a holy God when we're an unholy people? When we pray prayers aligned with the will and the purposes of God. Let me give you an example. Let's say that there's a contention in your family or contention among friends or contention at work. And somebody has offended you. They have greatly hurt you. And you read in your word that that we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. Isn't that one of the most challenging ways to be Christ-like? is in the area of forgiveness, especially when you truly have been burned. And yet we pray. Let's say that we prayed authentically. Not for the demise of our enemy. Do you notice how he said, you didn't pray. One of the things he said, you didn't pray for this request for one of your enemies. And Solomon knew some of the enemies and some of them were his brothers that wanted to be king when David had picked Solomon, God had picked Solomon, and yet he had older brothers that said, no, that was my rightful place. He knew what it was like to have somebody against him. The guy said, I'm pleased with this prayer. Why? Because you didn't pray for your own riches. You didn't pray for this. You didn't pray for the demise of your enemies. And so we pray this prayer. God, give me the ability to forgive Sue, John, whoever that might be. Is that a prayer that pleases a holy God? Can we categorically say that that's a prayer that pleases a holy God? I don't think we have to say 75%. I don't think we have to say 80%. 
I think we have to say 99%. I think that we can categorically 100% say, because the word of God that says to forgive as we've been forgiven, that justice lies with God, that we can say that when we heartfelt truly say, God, will you give me the ability to, to forgive Sue, to forgive John? Will you give me this ability? Will you give me a heart that desires that? That that is a prayer that God is pleased with. Why? Because it is aligned with his purposes. It aligns with the word of God. In this, God is pleased. Why? Because God desires wise leaders for his people. God desires discernment of what is right. So God is pleased with this prayer and he grieves this prayer. It's kind of what we saw. The remarkable prayer of Jesus last week in the garden. Not my will, but your will. Was God pleased with that prayer of Jesus? Of course he was. And yet the amazing thing is that if we look back at Isaiah 53.10, we see that it pleased God to crush Jesus. It's always been one of those verses in the entire Bible that I look at in awe and wonder. And it pleased the Father to crush the Son? It pleased God to crush his Son, his perfect Son? And yet that's what the word of God says. That was the prophetic word of Isaiah. And that was the carried out word of Jesus Christ. That it pleased God. Now why did it please God to crush his perfect son, his loving son, Jesus Christ? To buy our atonement. To provide for us salvation, redemption. So that you and I could become the sons and daughters of the living God. What a prayer. Not my will, but thy will be done. What a prayer. God, will you give me wisdom? I'm a child. Not in in physical age. I'm not a child in physical age. But in my understanding, how do you rule such a great people? Your people, your nation, your chosen people. God, I need wisdom. And the kind of wisdom I need is your wisdom. So God is pleased with that prayer. And he says, I will grant you that prayer. And I will give you a wisdom that there's never been one like you before and there will never be one like you afterwards. And on top of that, I am going to give you honor. I'm going to give you riches. They're going to speak your name, Solomon, all over the world. They're going to come from all over the world to see the temple, to see the castle, to see all the different things that that you have created because of my blessing upon you. So what do we learn from Solomon's prayer? That once again, in different times, in different situations, with different needs, whether it was Jonah in his rebellion to go preach to the Ninevites, whether it was Nehemiah who was comfortably safe 800 miles away, or, or whether here is a king's son who's been born with every luxury and every privilege in life, and now he's taking the throne. No matter what the situation, there's three things that we see consistently that please God in prayer. Prayers that praise God and His character. Prayers that reflect true humility and confession. And prayers that yearn to focus on God's will and His glory. Folks, we can also learn that we don't pray to a stingy God. How many wishes, 
prayer requests. I hate to use that word wishes. It seems to, to kind of water down how holy this is. But, but how many kind of, you know, requested God? He said, okay, well, what do you, what do you ask for? I want wisdom. And wouldn't God have been gracious to make Solomon the wisest man ever before or ever again? Wouldn't that have been a gracious offering from a holy God to, to a fallen people? Yes. And yet he says, but you know, I'm also going to give you honor and, and I'm going to give you riches. And you follow my commandments, I'll give you a long life. Folks, we do not serve a stingy God. Verse 13, I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. What do we learn? How do we apply this as we close this morning? How do we apply this prayer of Solomon? So many truths, so many different ways that we can kind of apply this, but the one that I'm looking for this morning, kind of focusing on is, is the main subject there, but he actually prayed for wisdom. In the midst of all this COVID-19 chaos and in the midst of all the unsettlement of the world that we live and the brokenness of the world that we live in today, do you think that wisdom is needed as much as ever, needed more now than ever before? It's always been needed. But is there a need in your life, in the lives of this country, in the life of this world, for true wisdom? A wisdom to know when to speak out and a wisdom to know when to be silent. Uh, wisdom how to, 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 to navigate. Hey, do I send my kids back to school or do I not? Wisdom for pastors. Do, do we do this element of, of worship? Do we do, you know, do we expand and have the nursery? Enough? I mean, I cannot remember in my lifetime and certainly in my 38 years of ministry, the need for wisdom, like there's a need for wisdom in true just application because that's what wisdom is. The application of God's truth to, to real life. And there's such a great need for wisdom, how to lead a church, a a nation, a country, a world, your family. Wisdom to know how to serve God in his purposes in this crazy, crazy time. So perhaps now more than ever, we as a body of people, we as both individuals, we collectively, however we would term our collection of people, as a nation, as, as, you know, Parents, grandparents, so many different things that combine us together in our community. Is there a better time than now to pray, verse 9, Solomon's prayer? Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. And your people may be the, the three kids that you're holding back their house. Your people is your, your family. Your people, Nick, are those two precious daughters that you and Kira are holding back there. Is there, is, is there a time that you can think of in your life that is more needed now? God, will you give me the wisdom to lead this beautiful wife that you've given me? I see that. You know, those two boys, wild and crazy. Do they have discernment of their own? <laughs> 
Chris has answered that for me many, many times. <laughs> no, but, but you're teaching them discernment. So what do you and Chris need more than ever before? Godly discernment. We think of that in, in spiritual terms, but, but don't we need that even in practical terms? I mean, right after this happens, a very practical thing happens in Solomon's life. Two ladies come up and they both said, that's my baby. And he doesn't know which one is, is the, the true mother. And so in his wisdom to a very practical, not a, it's not really that much of a spiritual problem. They didn't say, we're trying to discern, you know, the return of Christ, da, da, da. And we put these numbers together. No, they go, that's my baby. The other one says, that's my baby. And so godly wisdom, he takes out a sword and he says, okay, divide the baby, give her half and give her half. <laughs> and do you remember what happened? The real mother said, no, no. Then you just give her the baby then. Because my care is for the baby. And he says, then you truly are the real mother. That has a spiritual nature to it, but is it very practical? So this discernment, this wisdom that we pray for, that we pray now for ourselves, for our families, for our country, for our schools, for our churches, and for our leaders. God, will you give us this godly wisdom, this understanding to govern your people? That we might discern between good and evil. For who's able to govern such a great people as CS? Certainly not this pastor and these elders. Unless we have the wisdom and discernment of a holy God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you so much. And Father, we thank you for the consistency that we see throughout all these different prayers. That whether it's Jonah or Paul, whether it's Nehemiah or Jesus, or now Father Solomon, we see this consistency, not as a formula, but Father, just of, of heartfelt prayer. That Father, just to, to begin our prayer life with a focus on you, who you are. For Father, that does open up the door. Father, I, I don't feel like a beggar coming in. I feel like a son coming in. Not because of my goodness, but because of what you have ordained and provided through the finished work of your son. And Father, when I see you in all your glory and your holiness, Father, even though I cannot fully comprehend it now, Father, that brings true humility and confession. Like Nehemiah. I have sinned and my father has sinned and their fathers have sinned. So that, Father, we confess our great need of you. So that, Father, then you can send us. And that is our prayer this morning, Father. That you would send us into the schools, that you would send us into the community, that you would send us into the churches, that you would send us into the workplace, that you would send us into our homes, Father, to lead such a great people as these. Discerning good and evil. Discerning what is wise. So Father, help us to pray a prayer that is pleasing to you. Father, we thank you for that. That is all made possible through the finished work of Christ. Through the power of the Spirit that you have now sent that dwells within every believer. Thank you for these promises. As we, as we pray them all in that finished work of Christ. Amen.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.